Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Carolina wins against Virginia Tech on Saturday. Of course, that makes this the day after podcast. Jason Staples and Buck Sanders join me. Gentlemen, we'll keep the same format. Win or lose, Carolina with a big win over a, I guess for this season, the former coastal rival in Virginia Tech. Buck, overall thoughts? The uh, former rival for at least this season, I think is uh, probably the, the bigger question, uh, coming out of this game. Um, and you know, Taylor's, uh, post game video and in my article today, um, you know, the question is, is this a, a one-off North Carolina just managed to beat Virginia tech and this one game. And then, you know, next year they might go on a, uh, streak and beat us. And then, uh, you know, go. You know, they had won 13 out out of 16 contests since they had joined the Coastal Division. So, I think a great question for today is: Is this a sign of things to come, or just a one-off for this year? And I think my opinion and yours is that uh, with the way that North Carolina is recruiting, and the way Virginia Tech is not recruiting, um, the difference between the two programs could go in different directions in North Carolina's favor. But we think a lot alike. I've already written the lead for this podcast for the podcast story, and it's very similar to that. Jason, we talked last week about how Virginia Tech was able to be pretty good without recruiting very well over the last couple of seasons. And we talked about transfer U. And I looked at Virginia Tech's depth chart getting prepared for the Inside Carolina Live show, and if folks didn't listen to that, um, we pretty much nailed this ball game. at least Taylor Vipp You did. did. You did. Uh, Joey uh, screwed the pooch. Yeah, I, said, I was going to say at least Taylor and I did. <laughs> but um, Joey's taken over the role of being the Tommy Cynic, and uh, you know, I have that effect on some people. <laughs> but Jason uh, – Virginia Tech's defensive line specifically loaded with grads and seniors, and that was it. Um, not a lot behind them. So can Virginia Tech sustain what North Carolina is doing by poaching the transfer market, or do you think this is, as Buck says, and I believe as well, that this was sort of the sign of the times to come for this rivalry? I think it's a sign of the times to come. I mean, I thought this was – to be honest, I thought this was Virginia Tech's real shot to get North Carolina the next next few years coming into this game uh, because of the matchups, because of how well they've run the football. I mean, we talked about all that on the Game Plan podcast that Virginia Tech, in terms of matchups, this was 
favorable to them if if Vohasic was out and he was. Um, this was favorable in a lot of respects for in this in this game. But Carolina's offense obviously was a lot better than Virginia Tech could handle. And the thing is, those those matchups aren't getting better for for Virginia Tech because North Carolina has a lot of young talent from the last couple classes that is going to be contributing more and more and they're going to be that much more influential the next couple of years and you're looking at next year with the with the junior sam howell and and that loaded offense still and you know a, a, an offensive line that is is has taken a further step forward and, and is more experienced and some of the guys on defense and the defensive line that are going to be there and and all of that 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 carolina team next year should be better than this year's and I don't think Virginia Tech's going to be better next year than this year. That's one of the things about working with transfers is that's great. It's a stopgap for a year, but you get you start getting dependent on that. And it's not a way to build a program. It's not a way to sustain a program. It's it's the sort of thing that you you're trying to you 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 deal with transfers to make up for weaknesses that you have elsewhere for weaknesses in the, in, in the recruiting pipeline and all that, and for, for dealing with guys that you have not managed to, to develop, but that's not how you sustain a high level program. And North Carolina right now is not just trying to compete with Virginia tech. North Carolina is trying to recruit and build to compete with the team further South. Mm-hmm. And that you do through recruiting and development of players out of high school and I think North Carolina is in much better position to do that than Virginia Tech because you look at all the – it's not just transfer you because of people that they've actually managed to get in. It's transfer you because how many people have transferred out as well. And that, again, really hurts when you're trying to build continuity, when you're trying to get people uh, – it's not just a matter of talent. It's a matter of how, how, how many years have you had a guy in a system? When a guy's in his third year in a system and he no longer has to think, that guy's that much better. And you can't do that. You can't get there with the kind of uh, with the kind of transfer dependent, dependency and the turnover. Like yeah, yeah, the, the, the roster turnover that you've had at, at Virginia Tech. They've done a, an amazing job of managing to cobble together quality play out of that. But again, you can't build on that. And that's, that's where North Carolina is, is they're, they're in the, they're in the building process and you're starting to see a lot of things, the bricks go on top of each other and, and things start to get built pretty dang well uh, with the pieces that they've got on the roster and with young pieces that will be in their second, third year in the system. Yeah. I saw being in King, in, in, excuse me, being in Keenan stadium, you could see a lot of stuff, um, that you can't see on television like Buck and I were talking about. Like I was saying after um, watching a game on television versus in person, I saw a Virginia Tech program, especially there at the end, that looked like they knew it slipping away from them in this rivalry, and, and they acted accordingly. Um, we could talk about that forever. We could talk about Carolina's skill positions, and we certainly will. But, Buck, I want to turn to two specific things that I think are difference makers for North Carolina to get to a next level. And that was one, we'll start with the offensive line. I think with Joshua Zudu back, those guys, uh, they look pretty solid against Virginia Tech. I thought Virginia Tech's uh, defensive line would cause some problems. And Sam Howell played pretty much pressure-free, not totally, but only one sack, but the blocking in the run game as well. I mean, you can't talk about how important Zudu makes to this group enough. 
guys like me uh, that don't possess the same level of analytical skill as Jason Staples that can, or Mike Ingersoll that can break down an offensive line and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, uh, we, we tend to look at a, a few factors, uh, one being, you know, yards per carry in the running game, uh, another being how many sacks, tackles for loss do they give up, um, and third, just a look test. And, um, you know, they had a couple of penalties called on them yesterday, but the other three factors, you know, they rush for what, 10 yards a carry, something crazy like that. They gave up one sack to a Virginia Tech team that's had had a six or seven per game uh, going into it. They either had six or seven against Duke or one or the other, but they had 13 going into the game. And that offensive line only gave up one sack. Um, I, I think North Carolina's running game had a lot to do with that um, because they just couldn't pin their ears back and go after Sam. But still, uh, looking at the things that I would typically look at, uh, yards per carry, sacks, tackles for loss, and just the look test. I mean, they, they were opening some holes for those guys yesterday. So um, it, it was the best that the offensive line has looked, I think, three, four years at least. I mean, you might even have to go back to uh, 2012, 2013, that time frame. Um, you know, well, Jason's, uh, trying to give me the, uh, poo poo on that, but in, in 2012, they had Brennan Williams they had Travis Bond, they had Jonathan Cooper, um, uh, you know, they had Lowell Dyer and, uh, what was the kid that was real nasty center? I'm trying to think of his name. Bodine. Was he in that Bodine? Class? Yeah. Russell Bodine, uh, that, and I think they had James Hurst. That was a pretty talented offensive line. Oh, but. it was super talented, but I, I don't think it was any less talented than this one. And I'm not sure that they ever had a game that was quite as clean as this one. Jason, let's in, in, in any event, that's a hell of a comparison. If you could compare this group, because that offensive line well, so a more veteran in this unit. So uh, if we, if you could make that comparison between 2012 and what we saw yesterday, uh, that bodes well for North Carolina moving forward. I think it does. Jason, the discussion, I mean, you know, 43 carries, 9.3 yards a clip. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. I, I can't say I've ever seen a Carolina – I'd wager there's never been a Carolina game, at least against a P5 ACC team, with that – those type numbers, but without uh, diminishing the offensive line at all, I thought Carolina, especially when the offense bogged down uh, a couple times, both in the first half and in the second half, they tried to run the ball up the middle and it didn't work a lot or off tackle. But when they started getting the ball outside again with the wide receivers blocking, there, there was one play, and this is another thing you can't really see on TV. Javante's coming around left side. He's coming towards the uh, the – Keenan Football Center entrance, that side of the stadium. And he comes around the corner and there's a hat on every hat. And he's just got a waltz in the park. I mean, I, I haven't seen Carolina's receivers block like they did uh, yesterday in 
Buck says 2015 was pretty strong. I don't remember them blocking like that since Nick's and Brooks Foster and Brandon Tate. Now that's 10, 12 years ago, but your thoughts on just the overall offense and the receivers doing their job in the running game. Yeah, I think you said it all in terms of the, again, the consistency across positions on the offense of watching all the pieces actually do their job with one exception that we'll, we'll get to, I'm sure later on, but in the running game in particular, you're watching, there weren't, there weren't leaks. And, and one of the interesting things is that there were a few places and especially early, there were a couple, it's interesting. A couple, early, there were a couple misses that Azudu had that it was pretty clear, you know, the guy hasn't played and I don't think he's fully healthy yet. Um, but it didn't matter because the back in, in those cases out either outran the, the, the issue or essentially it, it wound up being negligible because everything else was so taken care of. Uh, and then by, you know, a little bit later, he, he, start, he started to seem to find his feet a little bit more and, and just the ability to, to shuffle guys across that left side, which they did moving Azudu into both left guard and left tackle at times and just keeping guys a little bit fresh what they were able to do ultimately that allowed them to really find their stride later in the game. And you could see later in the game, there would be plays where there was just, there were no leaks anywhere. And then you add that to, I, I think you can make a case for, for Carter and Williams as the best running back duo in the country. And I, I said that before the season. So this is not a matter of like recency bias. The, when, when you add that to those two being as good as they are, well, yeah, you're going to get 12 yards per carry and, and nine plus yards per carry for, for those two. I mean, you think about this, you look at the numbers for those two guys. It, it's it's kind of silly. I mean, you look at uh, at rushing. If you have a back that goes 17 carries for 214 yards, it's 12.6 yard per carry average. You feel really good about yourself as an offense. That's what Michael Carter put up. But then you have your other back goes for 20 carries for 169 at 8.5 yards per carry. Uh, yeah, that that's unusual. And that's what happens when there's no leaks and you have two NFL backs. So yeah, there, this is, this is what we saw uh, on the offensive side. Now, the one place where I thought that, you know, there were, there were some obvious things that could change that, that needed to improve. They did not, catch the football in a couple cases as well as they could have they could have scored on on pretty much every drive had they actually caught the football in each case that they should have but i'm talking about a couple easy drops had they managed to do that this we would we, be talking about an even bigger win but let's talk about sam how uh you know, I said in the pregame show, like you gave me props for just a few minutes ago, the Inside Carolina Live show Saturday morning, I thought it was a game that Sam Howell broke out. And he did. And I thought a big portion of that was the use of Daz Newsom. Now, Daz Newsom has a history with Virginia Tech. Everybody that follows this podcast and follows Inside Carolina knows that history. So he had um, a lot of reason to show out. It was fascinating to me to see Phil Longo and the coaching staff make sure that happened. But Sam Howell was on point, Daz Newsom on point, and, of course, that opens everything up for Carolina's offense. But, but Sam Howell, that's the guy that everybody expected to see after last year. Absolutely, Tommy. And, you know, I, I think maybe more so in this game 
And, and certainly, you know, you, you can look at a result like they had yesterday and just assume these kinds of things without knowing them. But it's looked to me like the entire UNC coaching staff, I mean, I'm talking about Mac Brown, Phil Longo, Gillespie, everybody involved on the offensive side of the ball, they were exactly on the same page. Um, the underneath stuff to Daz early, uh, Mac Brown commented on that in his press conference. I think he has, uh, sort of expressed his likes and dislikes about what Longo has been doing in the past. And I, he's emphasized it in the post game and during his press conferences during the week. Uh, that we just need to uh, let the game come to Sam, get the cheap, easy passes, easy completions, run the ball, get into a rhythm, and before we ask him to do other things. And I think you saw the influence of Mac, and no question, Mac has been influenced by um, – Phil Longo as well. I mean, it's not just a one-way street. Uh, those guys, I'm sure, talk and discuss and philosophically come, try to come to terms on what it is they're trying to do. But I, I didn't see, you know, in the past, I've gotten the feeling that, you know, what the plays that Phil was calling and what Mac Brown really wanted to see there was a little bit of unease there and they weren't exactly on the same page. And I could be reading into that big time and, and be all point on this, but just the way it unfolded. And a lot of times you'll get misled by just, you know, the, the results and the outcome of it. But it looked to me like they were as close to being, you know, uh, sharing a brain yesterday as I've seen them uh, since uh, Brown has gotten there. Yeah, certainly can't disagree with any of that. They were definitely on point to the tune of, what, 656 yards and 10 yards a clip. I mean, when you're getting a first down every snap, that's tough to defend for Virginia Tech. Jason, I want to ask you about um, certain wide receiver, but before I do that, one thing I want to mention is I don't think Sam Howell gets credit for how tough he's been. Because he takes some shots. And Fuente had mentioned that in the pregame. And then you see the the targeting or the late hit on the slide. I mean, that kid, We forget talking about the quarterback skills that he has. His toughness is pretty impressive. And, Buck, we talk about uh, Matt Baker years ago who just took an absolute beating. Uh, Sam Howell, Jason, he, he doesn't get enough credit for that portion of his game, I don't think. No, I agree with you. And I'll just say this, that as far as quarterback, the quarterback position goes, you have to be a tough SOB to actually be a top level quarterback. I don't care what team you play on because you're going to take shots at that position. I don't care if you've got the best offensive line in the country. I don't care. I mean, Trevor Lawrence last night for, for Clemson against Miami. And that's, that's an okay Miami defense. I don't, I don't think that Miami defense is great. But they, they, tried to, they tried to hurt Trevor Lawrence on a couple occasions. They targeted him when he went down, uh, when, when, he, uh, when he gave himself up on one run. And then they, uh, there, there was another, uh, another situation where he was, as a runner in the, in the, uh, uh, in the first quarter, he was, he was, on, uh, uh, he was running for, uh, 
for a first down and sort of ducked down and took a massive headshot that wasn't targeting, but you can, as far as I'm concerned, that was an intentional headshot. You can't call targeting because he wasn't a, a helpless player. And then he took a, a, a shot to the sternum with a helmet. And that's a guy who's surrounded by an incredible supporting cast and everything else, just like Sam is. But you, you, you have to get the, the sense of what kind of, of toughness you have to have at any level to be a good quarterback. And Sam is one of the best in the country. And when you start to think about then being at that level as a quarterback in, for an offense that has been growing the last two years, for an offense where, where things have not been as established. And I think there's a ton of talent on the offensive line, but it wasn't really until yesterday that we saw them fully gel. I mean, there, there've been times where, you know, you get guys that are winning one-on-one matchups and, and different things, but still having trouble picking up twists and blitzers and things. I mean, there's still only, you know, a couple games into the, what, three games into year two in, in a given system, you're going to give up pressure. And he's taken, like you said, he's taken a beating and you've, you've seen very little complain about that. I mean, I remember going back to the uh, South Carolina game where, you know, they were looking at his hand on the sideline. And I still think his hand was an issue all year last year after that game. Uh, there were, there were times where it, it appeared to me, he wasn't gripping the football uh, as, as well as you'd like throwing the football down the field at, at different points mid year last year. And, you never heard Pete. Mm-hmm. You, you, but that, and that's what you have to have if you're going to be a top-level quarterback is you're going to have to be a dude who takes those shots and doesn't say a word. And that earns the respect to your, of, your, of your teammates too because they realize you're not just some prima donna who's going to capitalize on, the, on, on what the team's doing for you. You're actually uh, you, you're a tough, you're, you're a football player. And Sam's a football player. Now, I did, by the way, while Buck was talking, I was curious because I remembered something from the game. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about where all, that, all those rushing yards came from in the game yesterday. And, you know, Tommy, you'd said uh, when, they, when they started running outside, and I was thinking, you know, I want to take a look at the pro football focus numbers of where the rushing yards were, came from, where, where the most success came from. And, oh, does it do the numbers not tell a story? So I'm going to read you the, um, I'm going to read you the numbers from left to right in terms of yards per yards per carry and uh, and what, what that looks like from left edge. So this is outside the tight end, right? And it's going to go from left to right. I'll tell you when we hit the center. So the far left edge, 5.5 yards per carry. Not bad. I'll take it. Outside left tackle, 6.3 yards per carry. A little bit better. Outside left guard. So between left tackle and left guard seven yards per carry between the left guard and the center 3.5 yards per carry now we're on the other side of the center between the center and the and the right guard 17.8 yards per carry between the right guard and the tackle 14.1 yards per carry between the tackle and the and the tight end on the uh, on the right side 12.0 yards per carry between the and then outside the uh, the right end, fourteen point eight yards per carry. Safe to say they made a lot of hay running to the right side. <laughs> that right side dominated in the running game. I mean, you're looking at they averaged. I'm I'm just doing sort of back of the napkin math here. It looks like they averaged right around. 
14 and a half, maybe about 14.7 yards per, per carry when rushing to the right side. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's getting it done right side. So um, it wasn't just outside. It was anything to the right. They just, you're, you're looking at, uh, they had five, two, three. So that's uh, they had 10 runs to the right side. Oh, oh, no, there was the 13. You include 13. If you go to between center and right guard, 13 runs over 10 yards. Wow. <laughs> to the right side of the offensive line. So tip they your cap to those guys. I get Tucker back. Uh, yes, they did. That, you know, I think they dodged a bullet there when he went out. We weren't really sure. Or at least I wasn't. I hadn't heard anything about whether he was going to play this week or not. But uh, certainly having um, Tucker back. And McKeithen is just a mountain of a man. And so is, so is Tucker. So it doesn't shock me that they do that well on the uh, on the right side. But something must have been going on on the left side because uh, even though they didn't have a lot of rushing success over there, they only gave up one sack. So – that uh, they were doing a pretty good job on uh, Sam's blind side uh, while they were uh, making their money in the running game on the right side. So good to see. Uh, yeah, those numbers, I've already said those numbers are, they confuse me because my eye test is not uh, sophisticated enough to deal with PFF, but that's, that's impressive. Let me, one more player on the offense that I want to talk about before we go to break and come back and, and talk about the defense in the future. And I want to ask you about it, Jason, since you come from that position is Diami Brown. I mean, the guy never drops. I don't want to say that with definitiveness, but he rarely ever drops a deep pass. I mean, the last one against Virginia Tech, he's tripping, the guy's all over him, he jumps up and makes the catch, big touchdown. But the, the inside and the underneath stuff, he had two drops. And then Michael Carter, I believe, had the third drop on a wheel route. But what's going on with that? I mean, it's purely mental, right? Or is there any kind of technique or any kind of non-mental thing that you see with him on the shorter throws? I mean, fantastic receiver, but you got to catch the short ones. And uh, he struggled with that. So it's a couple things. One is those are mostly concentration in, in terms of, you look at him where he's he's got to focus on catching the ball first, and you can see on a couple uh, on a couple of his drops over the year over the last two years where you see him on those kinds of drops, he's catching it and his head is is not quite his eyes aren't locked, and you know you're not seeing eyes hands and ball all sort of locked together like you want to see when you're catching it there, and that's a hard discipline. Because when you're coming off on a hitch route or that sort of thing, you, you, you always have that guy in your peripheral and you're, you're, you're fighting back to the ball, you're doing different things. And that, that changes, that changes things in terms of that. So just the discipline of focusing through the football and not running before you, before you catch it, not having anything else on your mind is a factor there. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I also, by the way, think that that kind of catch is harder in the, in the confines of an actual football game where you're taking contact or you're getting off of coverage and all of that than people tend to appreciate. One of the things that 
on a deep route. That's di- there are a couple things on a deep route that are different. One is you're you're absolutely 100% focused on catching it because you know you are, there's it, this is not a situation of I've got to catch it and then I've got to turn and make a move. You're catching it already down the field. But the other thing is you have a lot more time to get fixated and focused on the football. So as the ball's down the field, you're watching it and you're watching it in and it's coming down. It's coming down, you know, close, you know, more in a, you know, you got two seconds sometimes while that ball's in the air to really adjust and get your body there and fight for the football. And you're also typically going the same direction as the football. Whereas on, a, on the balls that Diami has tended to drop, they've been balls where the, the ball is thrown at him and he, he's coming back to the football, which is what you're supposed to do as a receiver. But here's a fun test for those of you who are listening to this to engage in just in your backyard or, you know, before a game, you know, sometime after, after COVID-19 allows people to, uh, to congregate with one another and actually play, th- play catch, these sorts of things. It's one thing to catch a football. It's another thing to catch a football when you're running directly at the football. <laughs> Most people don't know how hard that is. And you, you talk about, oh, you got to come back to the ball and all these things. Yeah, you do. You try it. <laughs> it's, it is the most unnatural. It's one of the most unnatural things to do in football is a, a ball is thrown at you at 60 miles an hour and you're going to run directly toward it and catch it. And even if you're not running toward it, your, your sort of momentum or your, your hands are going toward it. And it's, that actually makes it more difficult to cradle and be soft with your hands and all that. It's, it's something that you are constantly working on and you have to handle the ball so much to be good at that. And then you do that when you're turning and you're picking up on the, on the football and you've got roughly a quarter second to, to locate the football get your hands in position and make that catch. So as simple as those catches seem to be the ones that that were dropped and as much as they need to be routine, there's no excuse to drop them. That's one of the reasons why you're going to see pretty much every receiver at any level is going to drop those balls more often than the ones down the field on, on deep throws and all of that. Most of the time now there, those, those other catches are, are difficult. And you'll see guys not necessarily drop them, but maybe let a defensive back break it up and all that. Where what what I think is sticks out about Diami in that case is how well he fights for the football and his ball skills down the field when the ball's above his head, especially. Those, those are really good traits. Uh, and he's just got to grow and continue to get better at focusing and making sure that he's doing the little things right on some of those hitches and some of the routine things in the possession passing game. And it's stuff that you can get better at. You just have to really, really focus on it. And that's, that, that's the area in his game that he needs to, he needs to make that, that change and and continue to get better. And Carter, I think that was a tough catch, but it's one he's got to make. And, and, you know, he's a running back. Sometimes you're just going to get that drop. Yeah. That it's a great point about, catching the ball because and it's another thing you can really see in person that you can't really see in tv on tv is that that ball's on brown right when he breaks out of that and he's got a corner or a nickel or somebody all over him and uh the ball's there in a split second so it's a great breakdown of it um, and, and 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 just to go back to my experience 
it's different catching a college, a college throw in that regard in terms of how quickly it gets on you. Where I remember when I, my first just summer workouts in college catching from college quarterbacks, as opposed to high school quarterbacks. And you, you catch out of self-defense at times because you turn and it's, it, it, you know, I, I remember the first few times I would catch curl routes from Chris Winkie. He got the ball out so quickly and, and so perfectly on time that I remember turning and it was pretty much, it felt like the football was about two feet from my, from my eyes, from my face. When I turned, you better get your hands up and find right there. And his location was, was really good. Uh, I know Carolina Panthers fans probably going to differ with me on this, but, but you, you realize that like, man, I, I have to catch this either. I either I catch it or I break my nose. Yep. That's <laughs> and, the thing. and it's, and it's there so quickly that you have to be, you have to find it and locate it. And if, it, if a quarterback's not that accurate, then you're not only having to find it and locate it, but you have to get your hands, you know, within a couple square feet that you're having to, that you're having to make that, that adjustment. And that's really, really hard. And it looks routine, but you're doing that with a guy climbing on you and you, you've got to locate the football in such small time. It, 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 it <laughs> I drop more balls than I, I care to uh, admit. I'll just tell you that. Well, I'm, you know, I mentioned um, catching balls from Ronald Curry at media day as a non-athletic person and just Curry throwing the football is a heck of a lot different than anybody I've ever thrown football with before. Did you hear the ball whistle with him? Yeah. And it's you, like you said, you either catch it or you lose an eye socket. You know, or you use a, lose a forehead. Let me take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com. Sponsor of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina and great friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers. You get 10% off your order. Well, what can you get in that order? You can get any gear you need for Carolina football related, home gating, tailgating one day, maybe soon, jerseys, basketball stuff, basketball practice starts this week. Uh, anything you need for your house, your man cave, plenty of sales going on. And like I said, those premium subscribers get 10% off that order. I'm going to take another short break. National guys pay the bills. We'll be right back. Talk a little defense and then talk about the future inside Carolina game plan podcast. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we're back with the game plan jason staples buck sanders i'm your host tommy ashley buck it's tough to talk about anything other than the offense when it's a 56 point explosion against team like Virginia Tech. Let's talk briefly about the defense. Uh, I thought, and I, and I think this segment can be summed up with what Taylor Vipolis said on his breakdown for Inside Carolina. The defense doesn't have to be perfect when the offense is humming, but they do need to be timely. I thought they were very timely in a couple things yesterday. One, getting the stops early. I think getting those two stops and Carolina able to go up 21 nothing was virtually the ball game. And then they stepped up late with a, with a couple stops. Not so much in between there, but what did you see from that defensive unit that missing a guy like Ray Vahasek is a big deal, uh, but getting back Patrice Renee and, and Cam Kelly I thought was very beneficial as well? All of that, I think, kind of sums it up, Tommy. And you have to understand, I think, it's difficult for us to understand and that a player has an injury and he's out, he's rehabbing and he's doing this, that, and the other. Uh, and he finally gets back uh, to the team. He hasn't been an integral part of that team as a first team practice guy for since the South Carolina game. And when we're talking Patrice Renee mm-hmm. um, a year ago. So um, it's been a while since he's, been a participating member of the defense and it, the Jay Bateman, uh, his defense, um, there are certain things about it. You've got to know and him just being away from that piece of it, actually putting into practice those things that, you know, everybody else gets preached to on a daily basis, but he, he's not one of those guys. Same with Cameron Kelly. Uh, you know, when they, their first game or two back, they're going to, you, you talk about an entire team like North Carolina having some rust after 21 days. Well, he's had over 365 days of rust in terms of playing a game. So it's not just plug and play where, you know, he, he's 
comes out of the South Carolina game where he's had a spring and a fall to prepare and he, he's got it down and he knows his teammates and who's he's with in the backfield. You just can't take that guy, have him sit out for 365 days, come in and expect him to be at that same level, you know, first quarter of his first game back. Um, and the same goes with some other guys that are coming off of injury like Cameron Kelly. There hasn't been any continuity in the defensive backfield this year. They, they've lost somebody through for one reason or another, it seems like every single game. Um, so this is the first game they're, they're without Storm Duck back there. And everything's different when you're missing different components of a secondary, the communication that you're used to and relying on a certain guy to communicate certain stuff is not going to be the same when you've got to move the pieces off the bench, you know, onto the board. So um, it was great to see them back though. And I didn't think they played poorly at all. Certainly, you know, Renee's very experienced overall. Cameron's still a young player. You have to keep that in mind as well. But it, as, as if you're a UNC fan, you're very thankful they had those pieces to pull off of the board, or pull off of the bench and put in the game because they sorely needed them this week. They did. One, one play stood out for me, and I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in the second half. Uh, somebody came off, and, and Jason, this is a question I've got for you as, as, as a coach as well. Somebody came off in a hurry. Carolina was having some issues getting lined up and getting guys on and off the field in the second half against Virginia Tech. But somebody comes off. Patrice Renee has got to sprint on. He sprints all the way across the field um, to the far side, to the Virginia Tech side. They run a snap. He's not set. They throw it to his side, immediately throw it over there, and he fights off the block and makes the tackle. I thought that was a huge play for Carolina because – they had them confused. They had them on the ropes a little bit. And then Patrice Renee steps up and makes that play. What did you see from his play yesterday that maybe can ease some of the Storm Duck absence woes or, or concerns? Well, it's a little – a little tricky to answer that question based on the tightness of the TV an angles. Uh, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com, everybody, because we really, really would like to be able to see those angles so that we can actually, you know, assess what's happening on the field. What I could see, and, and also in honesty, you, you can't focus on every player the first time through. I still need to go back through a lot of things as well. Um, but what I did see is the first game this year, it was apparent to me that he, he's just not running as well as he was la last year before the injury. And you wouldn't expect him to. But, you know, the question is how close. I thought he ran better yesterday. Uh, and one of the – actually, one of the plays where I, I, I was paying attention to that was on the long Virginia Tech run. He was, he was in a trail position, and I wanted to see uh, on the replay – basically how how quickly he was able to recover from his from his position and he was able to uh he was able to to make up a lot of ground on on the running back who who can run which tells me that he's starting to run a little better there, there were some times last year that he just was not as uh 
or uh, the first week that is where he was just not, he, he looked, he looked like he was running in quicksand a little bit. And some of that is just when you're rehabbing, you're, you get dead legged because that's all you're working on. And it looked to me like he was fresher overall in this game than he was pr- previously, just in watching his movement. Now, as far as other stuff, I need to go back and take a closer look uh, in terms of the, um, in, ter- in terms of the, uh, uh, of assignment soundness and some of those things and how, how good he looked in terms of not being rusty on some of that stuff. But overall, I thought just his movement looked more, looked significantly better than it, than it did a month ago. Uh, And that's, that's a good sign. That means that you're, you're starting to see him get more confident on that knee and starting to starting to look like the player that, that he, that he can be uh, physically. So yeah, that's that's that should be encouraging, but you know it still doesn't make up for the lack of, of Storm Duck, who you could argue is the best player on the defense, along with uh, Surratt, the first first few weeks. Yeah, indeed, there. Uh, getting a little long in this podcast, but Jason, let me ask you a quick question. Nutshell it now. A question my son asked me watching the game is, how do they know who's in and out of the game? How do the players? Uh, keep up with who's got to go in and who's got to go out. And I asked that question in the same vein that I mentioned just a minute ago is Carolina struggled getting guys on and off the field at times against Virginia Tech. From a coaching standpoint and from a player standpoint, how does that work in real time? Because it it can certainly look like chaos at some point. Well, this is one of the reasons why head co- or why coaches have headsets. Uh, <laughs> so so what, what you've got is is coaches are talking through this uh, on headsets and you have people who on the sideline are responsible for a given position group. So if you're, if you've got a position coach, who's on the sideline, you know, he's responsible for making sure that the right people are on the field at his position. And if, if, if the position coach is up in the box, then there's going to be somebody else down there who's responsible for that position on the sideline. And basically what's going to happen is you're going to have some discussion on the, on the, um, on, on the, on the phones where maybe somebody upstairs sees that, Hey, such and such tapping out. And then you have somebody that, you know, then is going to grab a, grab a player and say, go, go, go. There is some element where players are also watching. If you're, if you're at a position that tends to rotate guys a little bit, then you should have that guy who's on the sideline. I mean, obviously you want anybody who might be able to go in, they need to have their helmet on and they need to be there within, within shouting distance of the, of the coach so that they know to go, but they, but also like at a, at a position where there's some rotation, you'll get a guy that'll tap his helmet. And the number two guy knows that that means I need to go. So there, oftentimes that guy's going, if, if, if you've got things set up the way that they should be, that guy's going before the coach even calls. Now where this gets really tricky is up, oh, we're going to shift personnel because they're, they're running this guy on or off. So I'm, I'm just thinking about this on, in terms of defense when the offense runs a different personnel group out there and see on the offense, you'll have, you know, pony, pony, pony. Now you get the pony package. The, the, the players who are responsible for that are going to run out, right? That, that personnel shift gets done by calling out the, uh, the personnel package. When they're running their guys out, if the defense needs to make a, a substitution to change personnel to match, match offensive personnel, then you're going to have some, specific things to call to that and you'll send guys again individually based on upstairs that you're hearing okay they're in 21 21 and you're gonna all of a sudden get you know the, the guys on the sideline are hearing that from upstairs and they're sending out the guys that way uh but it it 
it can be a, it can feel a little chaotic at times when you've got three or four guys having to come out and, and guys going on because you've got multiple people responsible for multiple spots. And if a guy's not absolutely paying attention, you can get stuck. And, uh, and that's, it, it's tricky. <laughs> I saw one time they got in there, I believe it was Cameron Kelly. They got into him for not being ready to get out there. They were running out. They were swapping Kelly for Asante a lot. Um, there and especially in the second half it's just fascinating to see it's what is it's similar to me to sitting behind a bench in a hockey game at carolina hurricanes game and see how those guys rotate in and out uh, again another thing you don't see um, by watching it on television as much as you do being there in person especially behind the carolina bench let's wrap this show but with a couple questions with a couple discussion points carolina uh, joey galloway and Jesse Palmer and all, they have them in their top five power rankings. I guess sometime later today, later Sunday, we'll see the actual rankings. So, Buck, my ultimate question is, you've seen a lot of football and you've seen a lot of Carolina football. Is this team legitimately um, ranked appropriately? And I'm not saying specifically number five or number six, but is this team, in your opinion, right now, a legitimate top ten team that Matt Brown has on his hands? There's a couple of ways to approach this, I think. And, and one is, I think, last week's AP poll, uh, North Carolina was ranked ahead of Penn State. Well, that's justified, I think, because we haven't seen Penn State play yet. Uh, so, you know, as long as the ranking services are basing the rankings on what they have seen from the teams, and in some cases are not right because they had Ohio state, I think ranked fifth or sixth somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and again, Ohio state hadn't taken a snap. So, you know, in some cases, I think maybe they believe, well, we know enough about this team that we can give them a ranking that we feel fairly confident with. And in other cases, they can't, they don't feel quite as confident. So, uh, looking at it from sort of a pragmatic point of view, I think it's justifiable to have North Carolina ranked where it is. Um, now, I, I look at some of the teams in, in the top 25. Uh, just pick a random team like Wisconsin. If North Carolina was to play Wisconsin, how confident would I be that North Carolina was clearly the better team? And I think Wisconsin is maybe ranked – 15, 16, somewhere in there. 16. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I'd really be hard pressed. Uh, if North Carolina's like, I think probably today, my guess is they'll end up ranked sixth in the, in the polls, uh, whenever they come out, I think they'll jump up over Florida and Miami. So I think they'll end up six, uh, at the same time, you know, you, a lot of times, uh, it's, it's just so rare for a team to be dropped after a win. It happens on occasions. You can win a game and still lose spots in the polls. Um, you know, but if it's, it's gotta be probably a win over a, a really, you know, poor level of competition. Uh, a close, you know, say, uh, Penn State versus uh, Rocky Top School of Sheet Metal Work. 
Um, <laughs> they play. They got some yeah, orange. But, but is Ditka too. full size? That's all I want to know. Is Ditka full size? <laughs> um, so I, I want to add something here, Buck, that, that there are two things to consider when, when thinking about this. One is, I think actually at this stage of the season, it's better to think in terms of tiers than it is exact rankings. And, and I think that kind of gets to your point about, okay, you know, if, if, if UNC is going to play LSU ranked 17th coming in and they lost this week uh, or Tennessee or Wisconsin or Auburn, like how confident are you that this, that, that, that Carolina, that this Carolina team is, is that much better than that team that you're like, yeah, I, I feel like they're going to go in and they should win this game. If, if, if you're like, well, that's, I think they could win that. They probably should win, even if they probably should win that, but it's, it's pretty close to even, then you're on basically the same tier as that team. And I think at this point, you can look at the teams that we've at least seen play, and you could probably throw Ohio State in there among the teams that we haven't seen play, just based on recent history and personnel. There's four teams that are in a tier by themselves, right? You got Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and you probably stick Ohio State in there. That's, those are, that's, that's your tier. You start to look at the teams in the tier below that, and you're like, okay, Notre Dame could could would that be a really competitive game with with uh, North Carolina and Notre Dame? I think so, right? You start Miami. I think North Carolina is better than Miami. Penn State, well, TB, TBD. Oklahoma State, Auburn, Oregon, Tennessee, those would be competitive games. I, I you know I, I don't know that I would favor North Carolina over Tennessee right now, for example because Tennessee's defense is really good. I think they're a pretty complete team, but I might, you know? So at that point you say, yeah, you know what? Carolina's kind of in that tier two of teams. That's just, that, that's just not one of the, one of the top four that right now has really, really three that have played, but four that are separate. And so I think any, any ranking sort of in that second tier is fair. The, the real concern that I have is I look at the grades for this last game, and this is the second point. I look at the, the pro, pro football focus grades from this last game, and North Carolina's overall offensive grade given by PFF in this game, 89.7. 90 is yeah. about as high as it goes, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's, you're, 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 when you get grades in the 89 range, 90 range, you're looking at college football playoff level grades from pff right that's <laughs> for overall offensive grade and actually that's something we need to do for inside carolina later this week is how many teams last year actually had grades that were higher than that in a game couldn't be that many for the overall but here's the problem the defensive grade was 30.8 that's the that's the difference in the elites versus and the it's the difference it's being a complete team mm-hmm. and i don't see that this carolina team especially right now with vohasic out with with duck out with some of these guys the, the depth the depth on defense is starting to you're starting to see the difference there and they need to get a couple of these guys back but that's where really where the difference is and you're going to have to grade out high you're going to have to play better than a 30 to avoid getting stubbing your toe and getting upset or just getting pounded by one of the true top tier teams if you play them. Uh, but I think otherwise this, this team offensively, this team's playing like a college football playoff team, or at least they did on Saturday. 
defensively, well, there's still personnel wise and otherwise <laughs> still a long way to go. Interesting. It kind of reminds me that discussion kind of reminds me of a team like Oklahoma, you know, that can put up points left and right, which was in that tier, that top tier, uh, before they, they lost what two in a row, I guess. You know, yeah. Uh, so, and I'd still put them in that top tier, even though they lost those games. They're, they're just in terms of pick of how of where the team falls in terms of okay, you're going to play these two teams together. What's going to happen? I still think they're probably in that top tier, especially since they're still breaking in a new quarterback and they're getting better. That's a young team. It's uh, it, it's still Carolina football in this discussion. How far we've come in just two years? These, it's going to get better, folks. Yeah, absolutely. In these podcasts, I think we all would agree, kind of stunk um, two years ago and year beyond that. Well, we were great. But we were great. Yeah, the podcast yeah. itself was good. The topic was We were great, stunk. you know, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, yep, Inside Carolina Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. It is always fun to talk to Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. After one like yesterday, Carolina, big over Virginia Tech. Gentlemen, appreciate it. Always fun time. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.